So it is my great uh, privilege and honor to introduce uh, His Holiness uh, Krishnakshetra Maharaj. Um, he's a teacher, writer, and traveler, and he is a disciple of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Uh, so, Srila Prabhupada is the founder Acharya of ISKCON, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Uh, he has served as a missionary, a temple priest, a pujari, and a counselor for bhakti yoga practitioners from the time of his formal initiation in 1972, so nearly 50 years ago. From 1972 to 1976, he was based in Germany, the Netherlands, and Denmark. Then he began to participate in Vaishnav missionary activities in Central Europe. And almost every year from 1978 to 1995, he visited India on pilgrimage. In 1995, as coordinator of a research group, he compiled and published Pancharatra Pradeep in two volumes, a manual for Chaitanya Vaishnav temple worship. He also served as ISKCON's uh, governing body commissioner as the minister for deity worship from then until 2005. In 2004, after eight years of university study, resuming his interrupted studies from 1972, he received a PhD degree from the University of Oxford St. Cross College for his dissertation on Chaitanya Vaishnav image worship, now available from Rutledge Publishers as Attending Krishna's Image, Chaitanya Vaishnav Murthy Seva as Devotional Truth. Uh, it came out in 2006 as a book in the Rutledge uh, Hindi, Hindu Studies series. Krishna Kshetra Maharaj is now a research fellow of the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. He also teaches at Bhaktivedanta College in Maradadesh since 2002. He recently taught survey courses in Indian religions and Asian religions in the religion department at the University of Florida Gainesville. Beginning in September 2007, he began teaching at Chinese University of Hong Kong, courses in Indian religion and culture. And after a full year of teaching, he then continued to teach one semester per year for the next four years. Uh, since then, he has been giving lectures at several universities in the People's Republic of China. Amidst academic work, he also travels extensively these days uh, by, by Zoom, uh, teaching about spiritual life as comprehended in the Vaishnav devotional bhakti tradition coming from Sri Chaitanya. In other words, the, the uh, Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition. And without further ado, uh, please take it away, Maharaj. <laughs> Hare Krishna. <clears throat> Thank you, Rukmini Devi, for that introduction. And I'm very happy to be with you in uh, Colum Columbus, Ohio, Yatra, even if from a distance. Uh, it's been several years since I visited Columbus. Um, the time I visited, it was the temple was, uh, I don't know if it's still the same location. It was a clapboard house. It was, um, at that time, it was only brahmacharinis, only ladies. Uh, I don't know when that changed. I haven't been following your history there. But I guess that marks how many years ago I was there. <laughs> About 20 years ago. Oh my uh, God. Changed, okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm happy to be with you all. And uh, I, I would like to share something about uh, one book, which I have uh, fairly recently published, uh, about cows. And um, after a bit of Mangala Charana, we can jump right into that. And I'll try to not speak too long so that there can be time for questions. 
Uh, I'm almost inclined to say, let's open it right from the beginning to say if questions come, you know, we can make it um, informal. But let's let's see how it goes. I'm also thinking if it's going to be possible and practical uh, that I share screen and then I can show the book uh, to you all and show some of the contents. If not, yes, that's I, fine. Yes? Can no, I made done? your co-host, Prabhu. I made Good. your co-host, Maharaj. Okay. So let's begin. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamin Itinamine Namaste Sarasvate Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Vancha Kalpa Turubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavanevyo He Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sutta Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gaurabhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So as I said I'd, I'd like to um, present to you this book and so I'll just jump right in with uh, sharing the screen. I hope you can see this now. Um, yes, Maharaj. Okay. So first, a little background how I came to write this book. Uh, as mm, Rukmini Devi mentioned, I'm connected with a small research center in Oxford in the UK. It's called the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. Uh, this is a, a research center which is informally but very closely associated with the University of Oxford. And it was founded um, 20, more than 20 years ago um, by His Grace Shonakarishi Prabhu a devotee uh, follower of Srila Prabhupada. And uh, it has developed in wonderful ways ever since. So as a research fellow of the center, I have um, another project uh, other than what I'm talking about now, and that would be maybe a subject for another discussion. Uh, we have a research project on the Bhagavata Purana, a kind of academic research. But uh, one day we received an invitation from 
another research center in Oxford. There are quite many. This is the Oxford Center for uh, Animal Ethics. And they, they invited someone from our center to come and give a talk about Hindu animal ethics. So I sort of volunteered, and one thing led to another after a few meetings and conversations. Uh, the director of that center <clears throat> invited me to write a book for a book series uh, that he edits. This is the Animal Ethics book series of the publisher Palgrave Macmillan. And he asked me to write a book on Hindu animal ethics. And initially I was not so keen um, with other engagements, but he asked me several times and one day he said, you know, I'd really like you to write this book. Why? Because you are a practitioner uh, of the Vaishnava tradition, um, so-called Hindu tradition. And when he said that, I was thinking, gosh, maybe, maybe this is Krishna, maybe I should do this. But uh, on reflection, I thought what would be of particular interest for our society, that is for ISKCON, would be uh, a sort of in-depth study of the whole tradition of cow care. I like to call it cow care rather than cow protection uh, because I feel protection is one, one aspect. It's an important aspect, of course, and it's mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, Go Raksha. Uh, but for the English language, I felt that cow care would, would be more appropriate. So then, uh, after receiving a contract from the publisher, uh, which limited me to a two-year period <laughs> to do everything, to do all the research, including travel in India, and all of the writing, and submit a completed manuscript, um, it was quite an intense two years, I must say. Uh, but I managed it, and on top of that, with so much help from several devotees and, um, of course, by the good Lord Sri Krishna's grace, it was possible to raise the funds to make it possible to publish this book, what is called Open Access. You'll see the, the label up here. It says Open Access. What this means is that this book is available for any of you listening uh, and any of your friends to be download, downloaded digitally from the internet, from the publisher's website, completely free of charge and completely legally. <laughs> uh, I wanted to do this because I wanted to make it available to as many people as possible to read and there's been good response, I've been happy to say, since it was published, which is now two years ago. Um, from the publisher's metrics, it's received uh, something over 45,000 downloads. So some, somebody is reading the book, and, um, and they're also uh, telling others about it. Um, 
And I've been invited by the editor, therefore, to write a second book on animal ethics for this series. We'll see. So, um, cow care and Hindu animal ethics. The theme animal ethics is there because it is in this book series, uh, animal ethics series. And that meant I also had to do some homework, some reading, what is understood in present-day um, discussions, what is meant by animal ethics. I need to be able to talk about uh, animal ethics from the Indian or Indic perspective in relation to modern discussions about animals and uh, protection of animals, about which quite a lot has been uh, written in the last 20 or 30 years. Well, I'll just uh, show you now, maybe I can move this over and give you some idea of the contents of the book, and then we'll see how the time goes, but I thought I would kind of jump after a very brief introduction of the contents to the second to last chapter in which I uh, give a picture of what I see would be a kind of ideal of cow care uh, that should be aimed for. Now, of course, I should say all of this is uh, most essentially inspired by the teachings of Srila Prabhupada, and what we see um, is how how much desire he had uh, that we establish um, farm communities with, uh, with cows and so on. And so New Vrindavan, which you are all most familiar with, was the first of these projects begun in, in 1968. Uh, since then, uh, several more uh, several more projects with cows have been established around the world. Uh, I could say something more about that later. Um, but I felt with this book, I, I I want to go into some some depth on various levels, which I I felt has not been done uh, up to this time. Um, in such a way as would be satisfactory for uh, what would be broadly called an educated audience, an educated readership. Um, in any case, um, the book has, what is it, altogether seven chapters, because the publisher insists that the introduction be identified as a chapter. Um, the release of cosmic cows is an overview of our traditional liter literature uh, referencing cows, cow care, and so on, uh, beginning with uh, most obviously the Rig Veda and going through the Upanishads, the Mahabharata, the Bhagavata, especially Srimad Bhagavatam, and into some of the more recent literature. Uh, that's been written uh, within the last century in Hindi language, mostly, um, including some very nice poetry, but not from the last century, from 
from earlier times, from 16th century or possibly later. So I give a kind of picture in this chapter of how cows are represented, and, and there's quite a spectrum uh, of uh, representation and expression of um, how cows are so integral to uh, human culture, human civilization, as Srila Prabhupada would say, human human civilization begins with cow protection. <laughs> I always found this uh, an especially striking uh, and challenging statement. Um, I go from there into um, controversial issues because something I came, became aware of early on is that as soon as you sp speak about cows, especially in India, um, you meet so many controversies. So the next chapter is called Cows in Contested Fields. And here we have two uh, main subsections. One is Hindu's modern concern for cows, which is going through some history starting from the late 19th century and giving kind of brief um, profiles, introductions of four important persons uh, related with the idea of cow protection. First of all, Dayanand Saraswati, uh, then, of course, Mahatma Gandhi, then, perhaps surprisingly, B.R. Ambedkar, uh, who was, uh, what, the first president of India. And finally, I introduce uh, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, making a very strong uh, distinction uh, with Srila Prabhupada that whereas uh, the first three are only concerned with India, Prabhupada is concerned with the world. Uh, furthermore, he's not concerned about Hinduism as such. Uh, what he is concerned about, uh, he would um, sometimes use the term Sanatan Dharma, um, but as far as cows go, he was concerned that uh, this is something that should be practiced anywhere and everywhere. Again, um, human civilization begins with cow protection. The second part, uh, now I, I, I mentioned the whole chapter is about controversy. This uh, first part is very much a response to feelings that had uh, become more and more prominent, pronounced in the late 19th century and through the first half of the 20th century, a feeling of uh, a desire, a need perhaps to identify the cause of cow protection with the cause of identifying India as a nation. And so it became very closely tied in with uh, the nationalist movement uh, toward independence from the British. Uh, it's a complex web of, of ideas and, uh, and, and actions, which I tried to give a, a simple presentation on, not too much of the complexities. 
Um, but the second half is entering into another kind of controversy, controversy, and this has to do with ancient texts uh, versus modern or modern controversies over ancient texts, where uh, the question is, was it the case in ancient times that animals were, in fact, uh, sacrificed in, in rituals, in yagyas? And there are uh, some who claim that th this was not actually done that uh, it, it, it is a misreading of the texts. And in particular, uh, they, there is the argument that it's a misreading that cows had been sacrificed. Um, I, um, I don't argue strongly against that, but I suggest that um, the, the claims are not, not so convincing. And Srila Prabhupada never said that, uh, that animals were not sacrificed. Rather, he said they were sacrificed. In fact, they were too much sacrificed um, in entering into the age of Kali. And therefore, um, one of the main purposes of the appearance of the Lord as Lord Buddha was to stop that kind of practice. Um, so that's a bit on that chapter. Then I move into what I call surveying the cow care field. And for this, I did a bit of um, on-the-ground research. I visited uh, several goshalas in northern India, some of them private goshalas with just a few cows, uh, some of them larger uh, semi-public, some of them private but very large, uh, and of course some of the goshalas of ISKCON. And I interviewed uh, the devotees and tried to understand what are the challenges, what are the, um, what are the joys <laughs> of taking care of cows. And I tried to then organize in the way you see here, some overview, particularly focused on uh, the idea of sheltering cows in, in this kind of arrangement uh, called, a, called a goshala. Um, and then I go to, I make a kind of shift with this chapter five, cow care and the ethics of care. As I mentioned, uh, the book series is the Animal Ethics book series. So I needed to address in more philosophical, theo theological terms, um, more broadly, what might be called um, Hindu or Indic animal ethics. And to do that, I talk about... Uh, terms which are familiar to us all, namely dharma, yoga, and bhakti. And I suggest that they uh, represent a kind of spectrum uh, of ethics leading from dharma uh, prescriptions uh, 
ultimately to bhakti, devotion, pure devotion, uh, the the understanding of uh, our eternal dharma, our identity as servant of the Lord, and specifically as servant of Krishna, for whom, guess what? Cows are particularly dear. Uh, but uh, I wanted to be inclusive, not to say we only care about cows, uh, because that's not true. <laughs> but rather, uh, as, as Gandhi said, through the care of cows, we come to a proper understanding of our relationship with all living beings. It's not an exact quote, but I do quote in it. Um, well, and I make another step because in the West, as I mentioned, there's been lots, quite a bit of writing uh, in recent decades about animal ethics. It started in recent times in the 1970s with Peter Singer's book, uh, and it went from there and has developed in various directions. And one interesting direction I found, it, which uh, began with uh, one uh, woman scholar in the 1980s, Carol Gilligan, wrote about uh, what she called the ethics of care. And the sort of root uh, idea of her ethics of care is that mothers don't need to be told how to care for their children, for their, their small children especially. Uh, they have it um, inborn, if you like. It's, it's natural for them uh, to care for their children. And if this idea then is, mm, can we say, scaled up, <laughs> expanded outward, it becomes a model, it becomes a way of thinking about how uh, care for other beings uh, can, be, can be reasoned about, can be discussed. Um, and, and then that takes the further step of, well, what about care for animals? And this brings up others, other questions. Well, um, how do animals relate? Sometimes they'll say non-human animals uh, to humans. And then uh, come questions about whether animals have rights. Uh, and if so... What does that mean exactly? It doesn't seem to be um, exactly the same as our understanding of human rights, and so on. There are many, many questions. So I, what I do is, in effect, create a conversation uh, between especially bhakti, uh, devotion, and uh, the ethics of devotion, as illustrated through uh, care for cows in particular, and uh, this ethics of care idea. Okay, then uh, we come to essentially the last chapter, and this is, I call it, These Cows Will Not Be Lost, Envisioning a Careful Future for Cows. Um, and... <clears throat> 
the in the title, These Cows Will Not Be Lost. This is a quote from the Rig Veda, from one of these hymns of the Rig Veda. And I thought it's uh, it has a nice ring to it to uh, call our attention to what we are what we're looking for in um, what we usually call cow protection, or I like to call cow care. Okay, uh, with that introduction, <laughs> okay, then there's some concluding ruminations. Um, but uh, what I wanted to do is go here. First of all, there's there's been a fair amount of, and there is today, fair amount of uh, what we may call cow protection activism. Uh, and I met some of these activists in North India, and they're all very wonderful people. Uh, and I felt um, that maybe what they're doing is not really uh, the final uh, the final word on how how best to approach the problem, to approach the issue. I might mention in between, um, there is really uh, a difficult issue, particularly in India, where we have this long tradition of cow protection. Um, unfortunately, the harsh reality is that uh, the slaughter of cows in India and I want to mention also buffaloes, uh, the slaughter of buffaloes, for their meat and for their skins, for the uh, leather, has, has become um, very large industries. Um, cows are, are killed um, by the millions in India today, even though there are many, so many laws um, in almost all of the states um, I won't go into detail about all of this, but uh, the the uh, the government of India, Indian state, profits uh, from selling uh, the products of dead cows, uh, especially to foreign countries, and uh, this brings in brings in. Uh, foreign exchange, and they are very happy to get that. Uh, so, uh, so this is going on. And so the question comes, what can be done uh, against this? And one response to this is uh, the cow protection vigilantes. And um, what I suggest is that while we may on some level be sympathetic with their efforts, uh, looking more closely, I think it would be helpful to consider in terms of um, teachings of Bhagavad Gita, which are telling us about um, how our different actions can be understood in terms of the modes of nature. Tamaguna, Rajaguna, and Sattvaguna. So what I uh, suggest is that much of the efforts at protection um, really ends up looking very much like either Tamaguna or Rajaguna, uh, and, and therefore will not last. 
And what is wanted uh, is to be in the mode of, uh, mode of goodness. Um, <clears throat> and we have a definition of the mode of goodness from uh, Bhagavad Gita, prescribed action, uh, free of attachment, done without passion or aversion, by one not seeking the fruit is said to be in goodness. But action done by one seeking selfish pleasure or done with egotism and much trouble is declared to be in passion. Action undertaken in illusion, disregarding consequences, waste, harm, and human limits is said to be in darkness. Uh, and so I elaborate on how we might think about this in relation to cow protection. Okay, what I want to do, though, uh, for the next just a few minutes, and then we can see if you have questions, is um, I, I did a kind, what we might call a thought experiment of what would sort of the ideal situation be of mm, cow protection. What would it look like? Now, before I go to this, though, I might mention I do give overviews of some of our ISKCON projects uh, as what I call anticipatory communities. Specifically, I focus on two of them, uh, namely Govardhan Eco Village in India and, <coughs> excuse me, New Vrajadama uh, in Hungary. Uh, I chose these two because um, Hungary is here in Europe and I could go there easily and spend time interviewing and so on. And also Govardhan Eco Village. Um, so I do give uh, a, a sort of um, snapshots of, of those projects. But here I'm giving a more theoretical uh, presentation and it's structured based on a notion of what are called um, the uh, moral foundations of uh, political action, political activity. And I put it in terms of, um, in terms of politics because there's so much politics surrounding cow protection. I came, became very aware. Uh, this is a bigger subject, but uh, there are six principles that were identified uh, by Jonathan Haidt, a social psychologist um, in America who did uh, empirical research to establish each of these uh, principles as foundational for all kinds of people in all kinds of situations what people consider important um, when they go to the ballot uh, to vote and uh, to form their opinions on different things. And so uh, the six uh, principles that he identified are, first of all, care, the opposite of which is harm. The second principle, fairness, as opposed to cheating. The third, uh, loyalty, as opposed to betrayal. The fourth, authority, as opposed to subversion. 
a fifth sanctity as opposed to degradation, and a sixth um, liberty as opposed to oppression. Uh, this last one, he said, was awaiting empirical confirmation. It was something at the time of his research uh, was not to his satisfaction confirmed. Uh, but I've I have included it here. So I take each one of these principles as a kind of key to think about how um, how we might um, establish cow care. So it's cow care and and care, cow care and fairness, cow care and liberty, uh, cow care and loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Um, okay, so, yeah, just, just briefly, I can um, mention a bit about some of these. Um, some of this I'm referring to other, other things that I've explained elsewhere in the book. So... I'm, I'm putting this in the form of affirmations. Uh, affirmation is it's a popular uh, concept nowadays for self-help. You want to change your habits, some bad habit, and then you practice affirmations where you tell yourself something um, as if it's already accomplished. You speak in the present tense in a positive way. And so here, this is what I'm doing also. We have instituted, I say, well, we haven't yet instituted, but I'm saying we have instituted a certification system through a network similar to that of worldwide organic farmers to monitor and ensure that all institutions and individuals who care for cows and wish to have the monitoring agency's seal of approval must follow minimum standards summarized in what's called the five basic rules of the care system, which I talk about elsewhere in the book, for lifelong care of animals. Uh, further, and as an integral aspect of this monitoring system, we observe standards of care for all humans serving as cow carers. So it's not just the cows, it's those who care for the cows. They need to be also cared for. Uh, in terms of appropriate remuneration, medical care. In caring for cows, we further strive to realize, as far as feasible, nine aspects of citizenship for bovines. Again, this is something I discuss elsewhere um, in the previous chapter. Uh, which I won't go into just now. Um, we discriminate types of bovines with respect to care, either by breed or by species, but we do have, sorry, we do not discriminate, um, <laughs> um, either by breed or by species, but we do have programs to preserve indigenous breeds of various regions and countries. I mention this because uh, a very strong um, attitude in India is that our Indian uh, indigenous cows, these are actually cows. And what you have in the West, uh, which they 
label almost without exception, they label them all Jersey cows. Those are not real cows. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I personally don't subscribe to that, especially because I find no evidence that Prabhupada subscribed to it. Um, indigenous means indigenous to various parts of the world. And um, anyway, that's uh, something which I think is not a necessary discrimination to make. Uh, we pursue the ideal of go-seva, service to cows in a spirit of selfless dedication that characterizes the bhakti ethical paradigm. Uh, okay, then cow care and fairness. Um, well, there's a few things here. One has to do with milk and calves, so not denying uh, any milk to the calves. Um, and also the proper working of oxen. It's, of course, something of an issue uh, that bulls are castrated, uh, some in India and uh, also in the vegan movement especially, they're strongly against castration. Uh, this is something, however, which is allowed in uh, some of the Sanskrit traditional texts, um, but it's a little controversial. In any case, working of animals um, has to be done properly uh, under skilled uh, guidance. I talk about also donors uh, for cow care. Uh, they should be properly informed about uh, the use of their donations and so on. Mm. Then uh, I also speak something against cow vigilantism. This, this would be outside the area of fairness, um, but rather mm, there are legal procedures if someone is breaking the law, um, which should be followed. Cow care and liberty, uh, I speak about mm, liberty to follow uh, the diet of one's choice. And what is called for here is good education about the alternative, which is uh, vegetarian. Um, I also discuss veganism in the book. And uh, of course, for those who identify as Hindus, generally uh, to be vegan is not necessary in the sense that uh, dairy, if it's appropriately uh, obtained uh, from protected cows, can be offered and consumed. That's uh, kind of a cornerstone of, of our tradition of, of deity worship. And I suggest that uh, we, uh, as part of this principle, ideally, again, I say to dairy farmers in particular, we offer free work workshops on methods of converting their operations into nonviolent cow care-based establishments. Uh, I mention this because, as you may be well aware, uh, the dairy industry is essentially an extension of the meat industry, 
because as soon as cows are giving less milk, as soon as they become a bit older, uh, they are sent to the slaughterhouse. And of course, the bulls are, um, with very few exceptions, used for breeding. They're all sent to the slaughterhouse. So uh, India, which has presently the largest dairy industry in the world, uh, is simply an extension of the, slot, the, the meat uh, meat packing industry, if you like. Uh, okay, maybe I should uh, speed up a bit to give time for questions, but loyalty, we may wonder, what is this about? Well, uh, let's see, I quote the Gita, knowledge in goodness is that by which one sees a single unchanging reality in all beings, undivided in the divided. In turn, this knowledge nurtures cow care's dedication to the bovines in their charge, such that they do all that is necessary for the bovines to be cared for properly for life, thus never to have their trust in their carers betrayed. See, the opposite of loyalty is betrayal. And um, cows, being very conscious beings, they uh, develop trust in their carers. Um, that trust is, is, um, is horribly betrayed in the regular um, food industry, meat industry, uh, because, of course, all the, all the cows, all the bovines are sent to the slaughterhouse. Um, we want to show that that is not only unnecessary, but uh, one of the deepest uh, mm, breaches of, of, uh, of animal ethics, and therefore really of human ethics. Uh, then we have a th the issue of authority. And what I suggest here is very simple, that when it comes to cow care, those who are experienced in caring for cows in, in the sense we're giving here, namely uh, in a spirit of service and keeping the cows for their natural lives, those who are experienced, they have authority, uh, just as um, mm, any farmer uh, who has long been a farmer knows his or her craft. Um, at the same time, I suggest that uh, we could develop centers of research uh, related to cow care and cow-based organic farming. Uh, these can be undertaken with results published in peer-reviewed journals disseminated to other educators, farmers, and cow carers. There are a lot of, a lot of journals by uh, people who do business whose livelihood is, um, is the meat industry. Uh, it's, it's in a highly developed uh, areas of, um, well, we would say avidya, uh, so this can also be, all be replaced um, by uh, high-quality learning 
uh, done based on on uh, quality research and writing and experience. Okay, finally, cow care and sanctity. Those who care for cows regard them their ways of creaturely being in the world such that humans can care for them. For many Hindus, cows are special because they're regarded as especially dear to the supreme divinity, Krishna. Therefore, they are practiced to give cows special attention. Such special attention is not at the cost of other creatures. Um, rather, to quote um, Mahatma Gandhi, we can realize our duty toward the animal world and discharge it by wisely pursuing our dharma of service to the cow. At the root of cow protection is the realization of our dharma toward the subhuman species. Um, yeah, so, so this is my little mm, six-part uh, thought experiment uh, in the form of affirmations, all of which could be developed, could be expanded. Um, all of this is, you know, kind of worked out after the, the, the research that I did. And I have to say, um, this is all based from kind of outsider looking in, in the sense that uh, I can't say that I have spent time personally in Goshalas taking care of cows myself. I came as a kind of researcher from the outside. Although um, I did live at Singhachalam uh, Iskan farm community in South Southeast India, uh, <laughs> Southeast Germany, what am I saying? Uh, Southeast Germany for, I was based there for several years where we have cows um, and where we had more cows than we presently have. Um, but that, that was my main experience. Okay, so that's, that's my... Uh, that's my little overview of this book. The book, as I said, is available. Um, let's see, I wanted to show. Oh, can't find it now. We'll just go back this way. I want, um, the book is available for download. If you just search the title of the book, I think that'll bring you to the page where you'll find a, a button you can click to download uh, the digital version, or you can order it also in hardbound. It's not, it's actually much less expensive than it would have been if not open access. Hare Krishna. So I should stop talking and start listening. <laughs> if there are any comments or questions. Thank you so much, Maharaj. Uh, you are able to hear me, Maharaj? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. You are able to hear, Maharaj? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much, Maharaj. Uh, and uh, we'll see if there are any questions. So, 
Maharaj, um, um, amazing, Alex. You have so much details in that book. Uh, I definitely need to uh, download and read. And so it'll have, uh, we'll also share it with uh, other communities. Mm. Mm. So one thing, Maharaj, I just wanted to your thoughts. Uh, I know this is a very... <laughs> recently, we have seen a lot of push on vegan and a uh, mm-hmm. lot of non-meat kind of thing, even things like meatless mondays and all those things yeah so i am i am personally thinking there is a hope in terms like uh, of cow production and of these things getting more and more importance just i wanted to get your thoughts maharaj like how do you do you feel there is a, a ray of hope somewhere that you know these things will be mm-hmm. more and more as we progress thank you Yes, it's an interesting question, or it raises many questions, actually. Um, and um, I, I don't, I can't say I have any definitive answers on it. It seems like, as you suggest, a, a promising direction. Uh, in some ways, certainly, it shows an awareness of the problems, uh, the ethical and and so many other problems of our present uh, meat economy, I would say. Um, and mm, then again, uh, there is also, there's a spectrum of people identifying themselves as vegan. Mm. And uh, some of the more vocal of these uh, would call themselves abolitionists, and what they mean by that is that uh, human beings should uh, have, practically speaking, absolutely nothing to do with um, what they want to call non-human animals whatsoever. So that means, and they're quite quite vocal about this, we should not be taking milk from cows. Um, we should not be taking wool from uh, from from sheep, um, we should not be taking honey from bees, and so on, and 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 they they have you know uh, they're very articulate uh, about these things, and they have arguments which uh, can be quite challenging. So I would just say in general they they have some very good points which I think we can learn from in that we should not take it so for granted uh, that mm, specifically with regard to dairy products that we should simply be uh, having dairies, okay, ahimsa dairy, but for us needs to be also at the forefront forefront of our any such project are we really caring for these cows Mm -hmm. are we properly caring because I've seen and I won't name places but I've seen some of our own ISKCON projects uh, where I felt this is not right they're not really taking care of the cows they're making a show Mm -hmm. They're making a show, and uh, this is, you know, this this can't be right. And so I think the vegans, um, you know, are challenging us. It can be 
for the good uh, to some extent. Having said that, uh, one scholar in the UK, one lady who identifies herself as a vegan and also as an atheist, uh, has done research, uh, surveys to find, I don't remember the numbers, but that the majority of vegans are atheist. <laughs> and for her, this, uh, this scholar, this is a very good thing. <laughs> um, but it raises, you know, questions for us. So how do they understand what is, what is behind this? You know, what is, what's underneath what's behind it? And of course, there are other questions. Okay, you're a vegan, that's great. So how are you going to get your loaf of bread? Uh, and there's a very nice vid video that was done uh, by, um, I'm forgetting his name now, my godbrother at Nuvrindavan years ago, uh, quite graphically showing what would be involved uh, if you're not using a tractor. How are you going to prepare that field to grow, uh, that's going to be big enough to grow wheat, to have one loaf of bread? If you're not going to have bulls, or oxen, or horses, or whatever, doing the work. How are you going to do that? Mm. So that's a consideration. Um, so I, I think the vegan, I think the the general vegan, they're nice. They, you know, let's get away from this animal uh, exploitation. Uh, but the more radical ones, I think uh, we need to question some of their logic at the same time appreciating the challenge that they make. Um, we assume, I think, perhaps more than we should. I mean, I'm a little un, um, maybe a bit radical within our society in this regard, um, saying that I personally don't feel we should be ourselves taking milk unless it's from protected cows. If that milk is not there, I won't take. Um, and and I question, how much milk do we need? Prabhupada said one cup per day. Right. And then we, we also have a devotee at um, Gita Nagari who has done extensive research on this um, idea that Srila Prabhupada many times said is that milk is necessary for nourishing the finer tissues of the brain. What does that mean in terms of um, neuroscience? What does it mean in terms of um, biology? So he, he dug right down into it to find what is the chemical substance that cows provide. Mm. And what he found is that it's it's something called DHA for short. It's something that cows may get if they are grazing on the field. And mm. on that field are a variety of plants which have that DHA. The cows themselves do not produce that chemical. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Manas. Thank you. Hare Krishna. So, Rukuni Mataji, you want to go ahead? 
Yes. Uh, so Prabhu, would it be possible for me to share my screen? Yeah, let me make you the co-host. Okay. And, uh, and how much time is left for, for questions? Yeah, we can go up. Uh, as long as Maharaj is available for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Maharaj, you are okay? Yes, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank, Thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Maharaj. Yeah. Thank you. All right, let me see if I can share this. All right. So, th um, thank you very much, Maharaj, for that, uh, that very um, wonderful overview and a very concise overview of a whole book. And uh, especially I appreciated the, both the broad overview and also the, the concise uh, looking at the six affirmations. So that, that part is what I wanted to ask you about. Mm -hmm. And as, as you know, and um, as, uh, as, as you've said that we might want to discuss later, that, um, uh, that my uh, co-author, uh, Dr. Urmila Edith Best, and I uh, are also working on a book. Mm -hmm. um, career dharma the natural art of work mm -hmm. and um we also we do have something about uh cow care and uh ahimsa dairies mm -hmm. and that was what i was showing so i'm it's almost near the end of the book it is here and so um so I didn't, uh, you know, so as you can see, it's, it is somewhat of a, a long section. It's basically this, this whole chapter here. Mm. Um, so the, it would be too long to go into there. And also even everything in our book is a jumping off point. And mm -hmm. I think that um, everything that we say, you know, by Krishna's grace, it's, it's sort of complementary and, and coherent, different angles of vision on the same subject. But I just wanted to briefly talk about one thing, which is that so the um, the lens through which we are looking at ahimsa milk in our book is uh, mathematical eco sociology, hmm. which um, we define in the previous chapter, and that's actually not a, a definition that we came up with. But I was wondering about um, trying to see how that fits into the six in, uh, affirmations. Hmm. So let me go to that section and. Um, and uh, just read a little bit from it so that we can see what, what does eco-sociology mean, and then maybe we can go back to, to, your, to the sixfold um, the sixfold outline and see how that fits. Right, okay. Um, so if, so if, if you don't mind if I read a little Please. bit. Instead, Please. We, we need an ecological and organic view of how beings with their own interests fulfill their material needs, eco-sociology. And just as math was used to establish a mechanical model, we propose that math can be used to establish an organic model. Um, and so some of this is referring to what's previously in the chapter, so I'll mm -hmm. skip that. Um, Eco-sociology studies how populations of beings with their own interests interact with one another, treating human and non-human beings in an integrated way within one system. And so now I'm quoting from someone who is, who is sort of setting out uh, the... I, I guess you could call it the manifesto of, of eco-sociology. Mm. A more mm. encompassing definition of sustainability would be in terms of an ecosystem being able to maintain its processes, functions, and biological diversity in the long term, with human interactions being seen as an integral part of that ecosystem. 
By taking a more ecocentric view and embracing an ecosociology that uses the language and metaphors of dynamic, uh, open, interrelated systems, integrating biological embodiment and environmental embedment, embedment, and I, I put this parenthetical situation in the environment, mm-hmm. and extending the social to include the non-human, then true sustainability might arise almost as a side effect an emergent property of a viably functioning ecosystem of which humans are still a part. And so this definition is by Paul Stevens from uh, Towards an Ecosociology. Mm-hmm. So that that was it very briefly. And um, so, Maraj, I was wondering if uh, we could go back to um, your uh, – you had shared uh, John Haidt's frame, Jonathan Haidt's uh, framework of six, six kinds of ethics and how, how that could um, – how this uh, ecological perspective, eco-sociological perspective, where humans and non-humans are inter- integrated into one ecosystem, how how does that fit in, into this sixfold <laughs> framework? Oh well, you know, looking at it just like that, um, I, I would need to ruminate on it for some time. Ah, uh, yes, uh, I, I'm sh- I'm sure that we could find a nice fit. Uh, just because um, what you read, the the quote, it it, it resonates, you know, it, it really, it resonates with um, what I've been thinking also, how, how do we think in the long term about what we want to do? And so I can't say how it would resonate or how they would... Uh, mesh, but I'm sure they would. I mean, if we take each one of them, of this, of Jonathan Haidt's system, you know, care, fairness, um, and so on, I'm sure we could find that it it meshes very well, because it's looking, um, well, they often talk about uh, being inclusive of stakeholders, right? Uh, yes. in systems theory. And what we're talking about is being maximally inclusive of stakeholders. Uh, just So just taking the point of fairness, mm-hmm. we can say, well, that's, that's precisely what we're interested in. That's what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I put a lot of... Definitely. I put a lot of, um, I appreciate very much this one statement that I read toward the end from Mahatma Gandhi, that it's through the service to cows that our dharma in relation to all other beings uh, becomes clear, in a sense, that's what he's saying. Uh, I think that's something that could be unpacked considerably. Um, But yeah, why not? So I'm very eager to read your whole book. <laughs> yes, and and likewise, I'm. I, as I mentioned, I had, uh, you know, in in our personal communication that I had I had started reading your book, and I had definitely found resonances as as you put them, mm. and that there these these are very these are definitely complementary approaches. So yeah, I and aiming toward the same, you know, with you know, Krishna at the center, of course. And as I see it with with my book, uh, this cow care book, as I said, I, I sort of uh, rushed it, you know, in in two years. As 
As I was doing the research, I saw, oh, there's so much more to understand. Um, I'm really just sketching out some things. And I felt like this is just the beginning of what needs to be a much more expanded and developed uh, program of, of, yeah, research, practice, um, analysis of practices. And I think the combination of what you're doing and, you know, mine would be maybe related to that and others uh, doing other uh, other pra- pr- processes that are described in your book in practice, I think we we have a whole potential field of ongoing research. We can start, I think this could be, <laughs> I'm just speaking on the top of my head. I think this could be the start of what Prabhupada called Varnashram College. Goodness, well, that's that's quite a quite a inspiring challenge. <laughs> Leaving us all speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Maharaj. <laughs> anyway, so there. Uh, let's continue the conversation <laughs> in course you, of time. So thank, thank you, you for this opportunity uh, to share with Columbus Yatra. I think we have one more question, Maharaj, if you have time. Or, okay. Uh, yeah, it's Martha, all right. do you want to ask something for yes. Maharaj? Yes. Maharaj, yes. uh, uh, I'm just hearing, I'm thinking how to combine my question, how to ask you. Maharaj, um, when one time I went, I, when I go outside, sometimes challenge people also come, you know, uh, talk, you know, it's especially Bhagavad Gita, we show this cow picture, action reactions, you know, uh, this killing, you know, uh, kill, and then again, next life, he get killed. So hmm, sometimes, you know, we, we, we tell them we are vegetarian and how it's good and uh, good for health, everything. So sometimes uh, one person like challenged me one time and told that don't say you are vegetarian, he telling me. So hmm, I said, why? Oh, well, you're taking something from animals. You know, that is, uh, you know, if, uh, we're drinking milk, so they're telling mm-hmm. you taking something from animals. So this is this is like a group of people there. So Krishna's mercy is came to my mind. I told, well, uh, baby drinking mother milk. What do you will think about that? Are mm-hmm. you drinking the mummy flesh or milk? How you take that? Mm-hmm. Then he, then then they get quiet for some time and they told, well, uh, different religion, your religion like this, our religion something like this told. And then then I concern a little bit like sometimes they're showing that. When the, uh, they're taking the milk of the cow, nowadays, uh, like uh, everything in the factory, machine, machine, they don't use the hand for taking the milk. Sometimes with the milk, uh, they show that it's, it's painful for a cow. Sometimes blood also come. Yeah. So, yeah. Prabhuji, uh, sorry, Maharaj, so we're just drinking the normal milk, bringing mm. vitamin D yeah. milk from Kroger and the sort of drink. But little bit, I have concern about that, but I have no choice. First of all, there is no ahimsa milk available around our place. And even if it's available, it will be very expensive. So what do you do, mm-hmm. Maharaj? We're just drinking the normal milk. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's a few questions sort of bundled together. <laughs> yeah. 
whether or not we call ourselves vegetarian. Actually, Prabhupada said we are not vegetarian. We are prasadarian. <laughs> uh, we we take uh, what we offer to Krishna, and Krishna um, stipulates what he uh, accepts, and he takes the verse, the famous verse of the Gita, Patram Pushpam Palantoyam Yome Bhakta Prayachati, as essentially Krishna's definition of what he accepts. So we don't have to even argue uh, that we are or are not vegetarian. Um, we accept uh, what we offer to Krishna, and we offer to Krishna. We don't eat. We don't offer meat, uh, but we do offer milk uh, because um, we see in our tradition we see that Krishna is pleased with milk. But now on this particular point, this is where I feel um, increasingly so that we need to be more and more careful and that uh, as far as possible, we take uh, milk not from you know factory dairies and so on. If you say, no, I have to have uh, milk and I have to t therefore take it from uh, the factory or whatever. Um, well, there's one sort of uh, what some would take as a semi, uh, as a compromise, but a positive compromise, is to say, well, okay, uh, let me calculate how much I spend per month or per year on milk, and then... I'll spend that for the milk, but I will put aside that same amount and give it as donation for some uh, cow protection project of my choice. So it's something like carbon trading, I suppose. Um, and some will say, no, that's, that's, they're not satisfied with that idea. But it could be taken as a kind of step toward, um, you know, the principle. Another point, though, I think we do have to ask ourselves, how much milk do we really need? Um, especially as we get older. If we have small children, I would say, uh, you know, they should be nourished uh, with milk. That shouldn't be a question but as we get older, my doctor, who is a Vaishnava, um, told me some years ago, he said, you know, at your age, uh, it actually milk, if you take milk regularly, it's going to do you more harm than good. Uh, as we get older, it's uh, <laughs> basically it's clogging up the, the finer arteries of, uh, or the uh, blood veins um, in the body. So I took that seriously and felt it's, it's okay to avoid. And what I found is I, I actually feel better. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm taking very little, uh, if any, milk products, and I feel much better. We like, you know, we, we, we like, actually, uh, this same doctor told me one of the most difficult things 
to digest is uh, this paneer. <laughs> and it's also, you know, fried paneer. I mean, the digestive system goes, oh, give me a break. And then what does it do? It creates, uh, it creates gallstones, kidney stones, and, you know, everything has its price. So these two points I would, you know, or three points, whatever I made, you might want to think about. Thank you. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you so much, Maharaj. <clears throat> Sorry, we went a little bit over time. No problem for me. Thank you. Thank you. My thank you so much, Maharaj. And please uh, keep coming whenever you have uh, availability. And we hope to see you one day in Columbus again. After thank you. Time. Thank you. Hi. And also for everybody, I posted, uh, there's a very nice documentary, Maharaj, I watched that. I think probably it's a little older documentary, right? The one you did on Srimad Bhagavatam. Yes, we did the it's, filming at the beginning of 2017. Um, okay. But it took an, another more than three years to actually do all the post-production. Uh, so it came out fairly recently, a few months ago. Yep. Very nice, Maharaj. I Thank really like that. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I will uh, make some local announcements. Okay. And uh, then we'll uh, make my uh, take departure. A pause. Thank you. Hare Krishna.